another week, another episode of the Rogue Retro Smackdown series. I am one of your usual hosts, Phil McLeod, and we're continuing on the train of these uh, brand new guest co-hosts for the next couple of weeks. And you know what? I'm, I'm happy about this, this particular guest host this week because finally, after more than a year of this bloody podcast, I've got another Scottish person on the podcast with me because... God, I mean, I'm, I'm tired of being the token Scotsman around here. You got me, you got Jimmy from America, you got Rahul. We're all brought in here basically to build up a diversity quota with all these bloody English guys running around this bloody podcast. Can't understand what they're saying half the time. Joining me to review these, this episode of SmackDown is Ayrshire's favourite son, is from Eat Sleep Snowflakes Retreat, and the, the podcast that is sweeping the nation, the, uh, the Big Picture podcast, is Chat Graham. Yes, thanks for thanks for having me here, Scott. On on this series, I'm looking forward to it. It's been it was quite a quite a ride watching back these kind of the old episodes and just kind of we highlight seeing it here and there as well. See what's happening. I'm, I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to talking about it. Yeah, because uh, Jack, I think you're a bit closer age wise to uh, myself than some of the other people. So I was going to ask first off, like, what's it like? What it was like watching the stuff back? Because when would you have started like actually watching wrestling? So I didn't start watching wrestling until the about the mid two thousands. So this would have been kind of a move to the music, the underground nation, and all that. When that was a kind of theme music for Raw and SmackDown, I, I didn't really pay much attention to SmackDown. It was just it was Raw. Cause my first ever memory of wrestling was Edge cashing in his Money in the Bank contract against John Cena because it, that was at the time when you'd get some pay per views being on Sky Sports. Instead of the box office, so I was I'd, I'd have it recorded or just stay up and watch it, and that was my first kind of big memory of memory of wrestling. So I was only three at the time of these SmackDown episodes. I think I'm in the same boat as you. Really, uh, I started watching early two thousands. I can't really pinpoint the year. I know we're basically coming out of the attitude and a ruthless aggression. So a lot of this stuff is like I've watched stuff back in years since because I like watching old stuff, but. There is still a lot of new stuff that I, every week I'm surprised, like, what the hell, I did I not know that this happened? So, like, I like getting people in who have different, like, perspectives on kind of wrestling, and you mentioned Nation Underground, like, what, a and a half that was, like, if that's not brought back for Raw Underground, like, they're just missing a, a step. Oh, definitely, I'd, I'd start campaigning for it to happen now. I, I would say that, like, obviously, I went to, I went to Nickelback after that, but it wasn't that bad, but as soon as you associate Nickelback to anything, the product will just get worse. <laughs> uh, talking about Raw, I mean, you're used to covering Raw with the Raw report over on ESSR Extra, but uh, you know, it's very different now coming over here, because now you're taking a look at SmackDown, you know, not current SmackDown, SmackDown when people actually wanted to watch it. Uh, Smackdown, Smackdown in the heyday. Although I still, I still feel dirty talking about Smackdown. You know what I mean? But I'll, <laughs> I can get by. <laughs> well, we'll get by together on this uh, episode. We're talking about the second of December episode of Smackdown. We're hot on the road to Armageddon 1999. But as we do in the show, occasionally we do have to talk about Raw. I also watch uh, the Raws, and this episode is coming after a pivotal moment of this particular era where the most important question of all was asked, not if, but how many times 
did Stephanie and Triple H consummate the marriage? Stephanie <laughs> <laughs> gone raw. It's revealed during testing Stephanie's wedding. Triple H comes out and reveals that he and Steph are already married. Uh, because during that episode of Raw, they kept showing flashbacks to uh, the bachelorette party in Las Vegas. And my God, if you watch this episode of Raw, Jesus, the tamest bachelorette party you've ever seen in your life. It's like, it doesn't look like a bachelorette party. It looks more like a group of women who, most of whom are now mums, getting back together who haven't seen each other properly in like five, ten years. Like the tamest party you've ever seen in your life. They, they're just sitting around a couch, basically, acting as if they're pissed, but they're no. And then the last club of the, the bachelor party you see is a drink getting handed to Stephanie from some bartender. And then we see that bartender is the guy filming the stuff with uh, Triple H and Stephanie. So obviously it's quite clear that uh, something was in that drink. And Triple H with the dumbest uh, priest ever who clearly can't tell Stephanie's passed out while Triple H is doing a ventriloquist act, almost like putting on a high-pitched voice to do Stephanie's belly. Stephanie, do you take this man to your husband? Yes, I do. Like, <laughs> how late are you doing these weddings that you can't clearly tell that someone's passed out, or I guess this is a drive-through in Vegas, that one's probably seen everything. It's just, it's, it's such, it was such a weird watch that, like, Probably because I'm I'm relating it to like now that if that if someone was in that bad estate, there's no way they'd probably carry through with it. No. But like just to know that like that that happened, it just kind of bewilders the mind of it. Mhm. And we're obviously definitely heartbroken, like, and obviously Trevor says that famous line about consummating the marriage, and like it was a weird enough way beforehand because like everybody comes out. This, these are Tess Grimman by, Grimsman, by the way. These are the people standing beside Tess on his side because all these women that are with Stephanie, other than her mother, like, I have no idea who any of them are. Like, you had Miller and May and then a bunch of random actresses because I don't believe these women would actually be friends with Stephanie McMahon. Like, <laughs> Tess had, in descending order of like how much they make sense, so you got Vince and Shane, makes sense, obviously, father-in-law, brother-in-law. you got Patterson and Briscoe, the Stooges, Fair enough, they've been kind of on test side since the beginning of his relationship with Stephanie. Uh, Edge and Christian, they're Canadian, also like Tess, I guess, so that makes sense. The Hardys, I'm assuming Edge and Christian's plus ones. Uh, D'Lo Brown and uh, Sean Stasiak. I don't know what the fuck Sean Stasiak has to do with Tess or he just happened to be available at the time. It's just such a weird lineup, isn't it? Putting all uh, them names together. Uh, oh, it annoys me because it just, it just screams money. <laughs> I know. If only there was some sort of faction we just pull as men. Yeah. Uh, what's also funny to me, mainly, is Tess comes out, like, everybody's coming down, all the grooms and the bridesmaids and all that, all this classical, like, orchestra music, and then Tess comes out to his theme song. So it's just a soft music, and then Tess, Tess. As Tess comes in, he's properly sweating because he, he wrestled earlier in the night against Triple H. I'm like, for an attitude crowd, the people were very receptive to the wedding. It seems like it's going to go off without a hitch. And then every now and then, right behind the piece, you see a sign that says, say no, test. And signs that say, don't do it, test. So, you know, some obviously divorced men and they're trying to give a warning to test about what happens with, with marriage. And he had that, he had the... Uh, the feud between 
Triple H and Vince continues. Like you could get Tess versus Triple H as a, a wedding present from a a wedding present given to Tess by Vince, where you had a referee wearing a Vince McMahon mask officiating the, the show because uh, Vince to, uh, Triple H has this restraining order against Vince McMahon, so he can't come within fifty feet of him. But like it's quite always like this referee is clearly Vince, and what's annoying is that the match between Tess and Tess and Triple H goes a decent length, but like the whole thing you're like, uh, like you look at this referee like we're just waiting for it to be him to be unmasked and to be revealed as Vince. Because they're in an cuts to the dressing room where Vince is meant to be, and you see Patterson Briscoe shouting over the toilet, like, Vince, go on, see this, this guy's wearing a mask, it just looks just like you. And, like, it's annoying because the, the match suffers because of it. Because, like, Tess, you've been waiting to see him get his hands on Triple H because they attacked him last week. DX have just been causing trouble getting to Tess and Stephanie to just to mess with Vince. And the match where it looks like Tess gives Triple H, he's come up and just thoroughly underwhelms. You know what? It's, just, it's a life lesson learned. You don't fraternise with McMahon in any way, shape, <laughs> or form. <laughs> yeah, Tess had to learn it the, the hard way, but Tess actually does get the win over Triple H, uh, which is surprising looking back at now, especially when Shane comes out with a chair when uh, he's trying to unmask the Vince per- person in the Vince mask. Shane comes out, cracks Triple H with a chair, and an elbow drop from Tess. Tess a lot of people don't really talk about enough as a, as a beautiful elbow drop, as we said, and beats uh, and beats Triple H. And that should have been the end of it. But then also Triple H comes out later on and reveals what happened at the wedding. So that's what happens here as we start the show. Uh, we start SmackDown. We're in Anaheim, California, the same venue. Apparently they'll be hosting WrestleMania 2000 uh, the following April. We know that because they remind us about 40 times. And remind us where you can get your tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and this opening segment, because we get the recap of the wedding, because obviously we have to be talked about it's the biggest thing that happened that week. Stephanie comes out to the ring and she's booed. <laughs> like, harshly booed. I heard some people shouting slatter, like, this woman was drugged and married against her will and you're giving her shit. <laughs> it's wrestling fans, Scott. Fickle, fickle beings. <laughs> I know it was so frustrating because like it seemed like the fans actually got behind the Stephanie Test relationship like better than you'd expect going again this is the attitude there and then just you were reminded just how much arseholes the attitude there people can be when they were booing Stephanie McMahon out the building and what I loved it I made a weird I don't know this because like to know weird signs someone has a sign that says where's HBK with a big question mark <laughs> Which is funny because he appeared on the first ever episode of SmackDown, caused the Rock the title, and we never saw him again. So yeah, I almost forgot about that earlier. Like somebody's also been watching SmackDown for weeks on end, going, "But what the fuck? What happened with that thing when with uh, Sean screwing the Rock? And it's clearly determined to come to the show and get answers." I was, it was. I mean, that can happen. Well, not that I say I mean that happened. I was three years old. But like when I was when I've got older and I kind of I've heard folk talk about it, it was always something that I thought was like pretty like strange that you turn up for one show and you cost them then you're not to be seen for literally ages. Mm-hmm. It's something that always perplexed me. Yeah, I think I think there's got to be some sort of issue between Rock and and Sean, or 
maybe because also Sean, he's not in the best state in 99, so when he's problems, he's not found Jesus yet, he's still got a number of personal demons, so maybe maybe Sean wasn't really in the best state to be having a match. But Stephanie McMahon, like, I'm not going to say she's developed on the microphone in the year since, but she's a hell of a lot better now when she's randomly appearing via Zoom than she was in 99. Uh, she's just trying to cut this on this promo. And she's the one apologising to our friends, our family, and to Tess about what happened. Like, and it's this weird thing that you're watching. Like, why are you the one apologising? You were the <laughs> one who was drugged. Why are you apologising? Oh, I was... It's controlling the narrative, isn't it? It's, it's the whole thing. Like, even when like I, I, I've watched this before, obviously like, this whole kind of thing about the wedding and that, and it's kind of revealed as Triple H being the the funny guy, the one that's just like kind of trying to cause mischief and like kind of getting the upper hand on them, pretty much. But like, he's a dick. Stephanie <laughs> <laughs> uh, calls uh, her dad and Shane to the ring. Cut back to say Shane trying to calm down Vince, who's got a baseball bat and he's like walking back and forth in the parking lot, also waiting for Triple H to arrive. I think it's Earl Hebner, or maybe Dave Hebner, who knows, comes to him and says, basically, Stephanie's waiting for you out in the ring. Cuts back, Stephanie's still talking, the crowd aren't getting any nicer. And they come out and basically, Steph basically says, I want to handle this Triple H situation on my own. And basically tries to get her dad and her brother to basically let her handle this. Don't try and protect her anymore. And let her deal with it. And Shane's on board. And Vince is quite reluctant. And what's weird is we don't have much of Vince and Shane uh, the rest of the show. And it's weird because the last few weeks it's all been Triple H and Vince. Because that is the main event of Armageddon. Aye, it's... It is weird considering, as you said, it's the main event of uh, Armageddon. That is just, it's, I don't know. Booking's always baffled me. I've never understood it. I know. Uh, we'll get more development with, uh, well, I wouldn't say development, we'll see more definitely later on because of another really awkward booking decision coming up later on with her. But we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Our first match of the evening is, oh God, two, two favourites of ours. And if you've followed DSSR for a while, then you might know why we particularly love these two getting together. It's Kane versus Viscera. It's literally a dream combination. It is. It really is. Uh, and Viscera's on a quite a roll. He's seemingly got Kane's number because this past week's were all open with Kane and the big show versus the big boss man and Viscera. I mean, a clash of the titans I've ever seen one. And it's a very quick match. And like, Big Show basically buggers off halfway through the match when it's Kane and Viscera and Regal because he's fighting with the boss on the outside because they've got issues. Prince Albert comes out and helps boss man attack Big Show. Referee's not asking for a DQ because an outside person has gotten involved. He's just so distracted. X-Pac then came in and hit Kane with a chair and helped Viscera win after he, Viscera hits a splash on Kane. So obviously Kane's looking for some revenge on Viscera because Viscera's been kind of creeping on Tori, who's Kane's girlfriend the last few weeks. Uh, as I said before, the, the seed's being planted for the world's largest love machine. <laughs> you can never be a creep when you're viscera. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> just, it's, the, it's the natural charisma. It's the chat. It's, it's just what he does. He, you can never be a creep. He, he, does, he does a good attempt at it, but uh, 
Because Visser, in fact, he's talking to his cell, he's talking about how good a, and he's going to show Tori spraying some stuff in his mouth, and then Kane attacks him, or they go to break, they cut back from break, and they're still fighting, they're coming down the ramp. I just imagine this continuous fight going through the entire backstage area during commercial, like Peter Griffin and the chicken, just continues <laughs> until they cut back, until they no come back. The fight, the fight for the ages, the fight that no one ever wants to end is uh, Big Viss and Kane. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's a decent match for obviously Viscerous size because it's very rare to see a great match for Viscerous as much as we love him you know has a belly belly suplex but Kane quickly sits up uh, Kane has a flying clothesline I must, I may say also after this encounter with Xbox, Xbox gets in Kane's face Tori comes out and Xbox spit in her face and then hit her with a spin kick you know we're, we're getting to Xbox heat territories here and WWE so eloquently recapped it for you if you hadn't seen it on Raw and the Lugs Boot of the Week. So they're using a sponsorship endorsement to recap a man kicking a woman in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and then Xbox comes in basically says, oh yeah, I like to say that that was an accident, but it wasn't. It basically distracts Kane enough that he can get counted out. Wrestler within the span of a week has beaten Kane twice. Not many folk can say that. Not many folk can say they've beaten Kane on two separate shows in the same week. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very accolade. Thin, very thin air for Vista, which he's used to because he's, he's, he gets out of bed very quickly for a man his size. And, well, also the commentators were trying to speculate if that kicked Tori was an accident. Like, he spit in her face beforehand and then made the spin motion to hit her. Like, how do you accidentally do that? As I just don't get it. Uh, Maybe he's trying to be dad routine or something like that. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, King comes back to the ring, attacks, takes his frustration there, and Visser, rather than going after the man he's really angry at, and hits Visser with possibly the worst choke slam I've ever seen. Like, this is worse than Hogan Taker at Judgment Day that one time. Like, I thought it was, oh, big show if you go, oh, that's a decent choke slam on Visser. I didn't clearly appreciate it enough because. Kane <laughs> lightly places Viscera down on the floor. You know, it was like, it was literally as if it was kind of like putting a baby to bed. <laughs> and just the way he's just kind of like, oh, just up, and there we go, back down. Like, he kind of wee pat in the head and let you go. I, I'd be terrified if I seen anybody's baby that looked anything like Viscera, like a baby <laughs> with that giant mohawk. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's actually quite some, some terrifying sight, actually. <laughs> uh, the other thing that happened on Raw as, as revenge for what happened in the, that tag match uh, Kane was chosen as the mystery partner for the Rock and Sock against uh, Xbox and it was later on on Raw so Kane was kept, came out to get some revenge and Al Snow was annoyed that he wasn't chosen as the, the third man because he's good friends with Mick Foley he's not, he doesn't really particularly care for the Rock and Al Snow felt like you know what Mickey needs my help as he was watching that six man and then he accidentally came out causing a DQ which caused The Rock to basically take him out and hit him with a people's elbow and that's the footage that Al Snow is watching back repeatedly in the locker room area as, as going on trying to head about how much he hates The Rock and then Mankind comes in oblivious to how annoyed Al Snow is is then just commentating over the footage like oh that was a good one he got you there and like he's just stuffing his face with something like He's trying to, he tries in vain to calm 
uh, Arsenal down. He then goes to the back of his year trying to find the rock to try and maybe get him to take it easy on now. And he just this some reception woman while secretly stealing candy out of a bowl on the table. And like I look times like this, I look at McFoley and wonder, how can you be so entertaining and sentiments like this? But yet you're just so crap at stand up. It's the I think it's I think it's the added pressure. This is like I guess he's had some sort of help with what he's to do. It's just kinda he's been kinda given a scenario of what he wants to do. And like, right, we need this to happen, this, that, and that. And he's able to kind of improv on that a bit. Whereas the stand-up is entirely just stuff that he's came up with and he's god-awful at it. <laughs> I know. Because I've seen cuts that he, I think he just tries to go for wrestling wave material and then half the time he goes to a crowd that doesn't even watch wrestling that kind of know who Mick Foley is. So it really just it just fails. But And also the, the stealing the candy, by the way, it just fits with the the narrative that a lot of people know about Mick Foley notoriously being one of the cheapest men in wrestling because he kind of got into the habit of having to save money and then just keep kept it and mm-hmm. uh, and he just steals candy later on I think he tries to offer one of the Rock when he finds him later because we're going to get the Rock versus Arsenal later on a true classic uh, not at all a waste of the, what the, the Rock's potential <laughs> it's the the Smackdown match that everyone really wants to see it is yeah Another trip to the mid-card for The Rock. No, it's not bad enough. He, he fought Bossman and lost last week. Uh, he's fought Billy Gunn and the Bulldog and Val's Venus. Like, I know you don't want him to be winning the title just now, but, like, Jesus, like, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, another trip to the mid-card for The Rock. But uh, a good moment for you here, Jack, because one of your all-time favourites is up next. is Edge and his good buddy Christian team against the Dudley boys in a match that I'm sure we'll only ever see once and never again. Uh, and, a, and a good five minute classic. It's, it's the, the stuff of dreams of Edge. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so, it's very fun because uh, I know you've talked in the past about Edge being your favourite and I didn't realise that he's also part of one of your like, proper like, first memories of watching wrestling. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the, the, the attachment that I've got to him being my favourite and then Obviously, when he wins the the world title, then obviously what happens in Raw the next night with the live sex night. You know, as a young as a young kid, you're like flabbergasted <laughs> at seeing someone like that on the TV, but you're kind of like, you know what? Fair play to that man. <laughs> hey, fair play to my. They have a really solid uh, tag match here. Christian is uh, play the role they get babyface to get worked over to build to the build to the hot tag. Got a still got the uh, the trash that they kind of started in gimmick, which uh, actually has a decent line from Gerlar, one of the few that we have on this particular episode where Gerlar says, I don't really know what's wrong with Bubba, but I'm sure it's hard to pronounce. He actually, Bubba is actually, you think of him being kind of larger, Dudley, like weight-wise, Bubba was actually does like forward rolls and everything. Uh, it's weird how that kind of impresses me, see him do that little athleticism. It's because you don't really expect that like, he does a roll to knock Edge off the open. It's like it's as much a surprise as last week when we saw a rare moon insult from Bloody Road Dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Edge gets the hot tag, big cheer, he's and yeah, the crowd obviously very much behind Edge and Christian. And then it's a weird segment here where Edge hits a hurricane run off the top rope and immediately goes to his knee and and you're wondering like, is this what work? Is he legit injured here? And they kinda of log in for saying uh, Devon gets tied and hits a weird cross body and because Edge is when he's got a bad leg 
he can like kick out. So the Dudleys win via cross body. Uh, what were your thoughts when you immediately saw they were doing this weird injury angle with Edge? I didn't know. It was it was strange because at a point I thought it was legit, and then I was like, "This wouldn't be carrying on if it wasn't legit." Mm-hmm. And then obviously the the, the crossbody to finish it. I've never liked a crossbody to a finish, and that made me think, "Oh, maybe they're trying to wrap it up quick." Mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt, I, just, I felt a bit. Eh, I didn't. That's I, I all I can say. Eh, I didn't know how to feel. <laughs> Yeah, it was quite jarring, and then you see him backstage, probably getting actually like checked on uh, by EMTs. And I say EMT, i.e. BB, who's now became an on-screen character, and that's going to start wrestling the women's division soon. Whatever they're checking on him, and I'm like, is he legit injured? You actually maybe think. And then it took me until like a couple of days later after I realised because Edge is not going to be on next week's SmackDown, and I remember, remember Edge had that cameo role in Highlander Endgame. Uh, and I think maybe they just written him off with a, with a kayfabe injury because they think Edge needs to go and film this movie role now so that's just probably the reason why uh, that's fair I've not I've even seen when I watched this back recently like, I can probably forgot he was in the movie mm-hmm. so I, well, was just, I, was, I was just genuinely concerned <laughs> yeah I, I forgot Highline the Ring was a thing that's why it took me a couple of days to realise like, oh Edge was in a film this time wasn't he and <laughs> From what I've heard, he's got like one line in it as well, so he's not wasn't that strenuous a filming schedule. He just had to miss one week of TV. Totally worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah, I mean, look at what he's gone on to do since. You know, he's in classics like Bending the Rules and uh, Money Plays alongside the legend of <laughs> Kelsey Grammer. That's when you've made it. That's you peaked acting at that point. Mm-hmm. We so he gets looked at by the doctors. Uh, we have a quick segment of Stephanie waiting for tests in the backstage area, but then they're jealous. They know she's waiting for her husband, Triple H, and Michael goes, like, well, you stop. Uh, and now we have a match for the European Championship with lug-sponsored athlete D'Lo Brown coming <laughs> out. He's that old down at the moment, D'Lo. He can't even wear his own merchandise. He's got to wear the, something to do with the sponsors, and that's when you know they've got nothing for you. I don't know. I don't even know if I'd want to do it at that point. <laughs> yeah, because like we we speculated on the show before, because like we're a couple months removed from when he had that match with Darren Drozdov, which led to the injury, which left Droz paralysed, and like people are speculating that oh, Dilo got punished and got buried after that, but like Dilo wasn't doing much at the time anyway. He was in like the European title scene, which and the European title was slipping further and further down. The guy like. Now we see like the US and the IC belts aren't valued nowadays. Like I think the US belt nowadays is treated better than the European belt is in this period. That's how bad it is. And Dilo comes out. He's staying on the bulldog, the guy who beat. And Dilo was the guy that bulldog beat to win the title. He comes out and basically says, "I'm the only person that ever cared about that European title." And a statement that's not factually incorrect because at this point he's the four-time champion. And uh, I think later on William Regal. Also get four in, so he's tied for the most in history. And actually, people think of European champions, and most of them think Dale Brown. So it's kind of accurate to say that Dale Brown's the only person that made the European title worth caring about. If ever I've been asked about who's been a European champion, Dale Brown is always one of the first folk I say because I generally don't know 
many folk else. It's like it's not a it's not a memorable thing. I think the the only other time that I've kind of spoke about it is when I've done a a, a, re, a review with Ross before, and I think it was Eddie Guerrero at the time as European champion. Mm-hmm. But like even that in itself wasn't memorable because it was it had like other titles in the match as well. I'm sure it's just it's always been a kind of precursor to something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame because when Bulldog being the first ever champion, when he first won it, it had a lot of like prestige behind it, and it was made to be such a big, big deal. And as soon as Bulldog lost, the only reason he lost it is because uh, Shawn Michaels wanted to be a Grand Slam champion, and so Shawn won it just for the sake of winning it. And then Shawn did bugger all with the belt, won the world title while still being European champion, and then dropped it in a comedy match to Triple H. So. Uh, from the second champion onwards, and only, and we're only in like the second year of the title's existence. It's already like meaning, almost meaningless. Aye, it's just it's a it's a title that's not freight with good luck, unfortunately, because it's a really nice looking title. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say that. Yeah, it had a green strap for the one thing. Was first introduced. It's the only title that's had any sort of like green in it. It's actually looked good because like green is not a title that works well. With wrestling championships, like the twenty four seven title as an example, there, there was a, an old like seventies version of the WWE title like green on it that looked horrible. Just some colours don't work well on title belts, and green is one of them. Uh, just the green doesn't work with a lot of things, unfortunately. It's, it's not <laughs> not my favourite colour. Blue, blue can be can work well a lot of the time, but you know, uh, no blue. <laughs> You're right with blue. <laughs> We're getting off on a weird side right here, but yeah, it's a bulldog who is accompanied by the Mean Street Posse, who are soon sent to the back. Bulldog, a man so swollen, he can't properly put his arms down, as I've, I've noted the last couple of weeks. And there was a weird dodgy move here, because I mentioned the Jaws uh, powerbomb incident. I look at the they're almost about to have a repeat. Uh, people gets them up for a powerbomb. It's a bit shaky, and then Bulldog attempts a hurricane runner, which for someone of his size and the shape he's in is not a smart move. And like both of them at various points in this exchange look like they're gonna land on their head and I don't know what the hell they were attempting. I don't know why Dilo would even attempt a run a parable after what happened. You know what, see see how we made the mention about how he just he couldn't put his arms down. You know, I've <laughs> actually never thought about that until now. <laughs> well like you see him coming out, his arms are kinda like almost, like, to the side of his body, but they're not fully, like, laid to his side. So, like, he kind of looks like he's posed flexing, but he's not. But, like, that's just as far as he can move them, because he's just got too... He's just too roided up. Oh, that's that's proper freaked me out. Now you said <laughs> that. I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> well, enjoy those nightmares of the swollen Mancurian man. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, building is inside and Val Venus who are at this stage is meant to be a Val Venus versus the British Bulldog in a European title match at Armageddon and so obviously Val's got a vested interest in this match he comes there and just randomly attacks Bulldog which is the DQ I'm assuming he, just, he wants to win the title from Bulldog that's why he caused the DQ the deal then gets in his face at least a brawl with those two as well and this sets up uh, Dilo eventually being added in the, at least to a triple threat match at Armageddon. 
and really it's basically it's a lower mid card belt. So like you think think of three men who could be in a, a European title match. These are the three you think of. Uh, no, not an act, more accurate statement I've ever heard of in my life, Scott. <laughs> Definitely, and we continue our trend of horrible European title matches on TV because honestly, we've had the European title is one of the more commonly defended belts on SmackDown, and I don't think since we started this review we've had a good European title match. No, as as I said before, it's literally it's always a kind of precursor to something else. It's like an afterthought. It's mm. just kind of oh, we can just we can just throw in a European title match and make it seem like it's a big deal when it's really, 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 really not. Yeah, because like, I thought about Shawn Michaels winning the WWE title while being European champion. A week ago, Bulldog got a title shot against the Big Show for the WWE title and got squashed. And I, and I don't mean like that in hyperbole. I mean, he literally didn't get a, a move of offense and, and Big Show squashed him. Uh, and then on the next time we see Bulldog, he's defending the belt. So like, yeah, we just we just learned on Raw how meaningless you are as champion because you just... Yeah, the, the top champion just beat you in under a minute. So, uh, that that's that. that just, it just sums it all up, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Uh, Stephanie thinks Tess has arrived as the car pulls up, and it's horrifying when Triple H shows up. Like, oh my god, Triple H showing up to a wrestling show. A wrestler. Like, she she runs away as Triple H says, "Hey, honey, I'm home." And the next segment brings out DX with shopping trolleys. Uh, they basically warn their opponents that uh, Armageddon Xbox sends out a warrant to Kane that he's going to take his mask off and show everyone what a freak he is. The outlaws try to shade at the Rock and Sock who they're going to fight for the tag belts at Armageddon and I think they uh, throw shit at Mankind's book that came out around this time and uh, they've also mentioned they've got a, a match with the Hardys and the Big Show in the main event. Now, I'm, I've mentioned the Big Show once or twice on this show already, but this, without adverts, is like 20, 30 odd minutes into a two hour show, an hour and a half, hour 20 without adverts. This is 30 minutes in, so maybe 40 minutes with the adverts. And this is the first time your WWF champion's name has ever has been mentioned throughout the entire show, not once before this promo, did anyone mention the big show? <clears throat> and this is just adding further fuel to the fire, like what we've been saying the last couple of weeks, and that big show as WWE champion it was clearly not planned, and the booking reflects it, because like, he's already in a feud with the boss man, so boss man had to be made number one contender for the title at Armageddon, and big show basically, he said he scheduled opponents, people who were basically scheduled to be his opponents on the weekly TV before he won the title, and then he suddenly had to make the, the matches with him for the belt. So he's defended like against the likes of the Bulldog, Hardcore Holly, Kane, and Chris Jericho, all in random throwaway matches. And all while Boss Man is the number one contender, which makes him winning a match to earn the right to be number one contender seem pointless if all these people are getting title shots before him. Again, it's, it's something that I've just... I've always taken it as it is. I've never thought about it, but how incredibly stupid. I know. Because like, when people talk about like the Austin getting taken in Big Show being a substitute, like, the only reason he he won that match was probably to give people a feel-good ending. But like, as we said, people didn't cheer 
like she was won one because they were happy to see him as champion. They were just like, Yay, someone other than Triple H <clears throat> And then the reality quickly set in. Like like she was so as far from the box office star that would uh, be starring on his own Netflix show that he is today. How's he got his own Netflix show? I don't know. They are like I like to think that Netflix haven't run out of ideas yet, but like this big show show uh, has proven otherwise. I mean, I've even seen it. Uh, I've heard from people who have seen it. I've been strongly warned against ever watching it. It's apparently that bad. Well, definitely. <laughs> like, I don't know how he's on show either. It's like, so yeah, big show is going to appear in the main event, which uh, I'm pretty sure it's the first time he's main evented a Raw or SmackDown. And since he's been the champion, and that was he became the champion two weeks ago, so that's how it's been with really big show. He get like one segment to remind you, oh look, I'm the champion, and then he buggers off again, which is why we've been saying that either Triple H should have held on to the belt, or maybe they should have put the belt on test, because the outcome of the weekly TV leading into Arm again would probably not have changed at all. And I don't know what you think about that. I mean. Something happens with Tesla, which strongly question, makes me question the faith I had in him. But like, what do you think? Like, do you think they should have? They could have had a better option when nothing got taken out. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I I'm inclined to say no because I'm. I find this whole thing quite funny, <laughs> and I feel that if it did change to something better. As it like better from like a kind of a resting standpoint. I don't know if I enjoy it as much because I just like kind of this whole situation with the wedding and the the everything that came with it. I just found funny, and I don't want that to be taken away from it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like again, like they were scrapping, scrambling, even though they had a week. They found out Austin was going to be taken out of the match a week ahead of time. And yet, it's still bloody promoted them. So, like, you look at this, and you know, you know that they didn't have a better option, but then you look at them like, Jesus Christ, this is what we had to work with. <laughs> it's very telling of the times, anyway. It is very much so. But back to the DX segment. Sorry, enough of ragging on the big show. Because <laughs> uh, we know big show, you can cry at a moment's notice. We're probably, he's probably hearing us now and he's crying right now. Good. Good. <laughs> Uh, they have uh, the trolleys have like for the wedding gifts for Triple H. So Triple H comes out to Vince's music, wearing the Vince mask, and then also takes the mask off. His crappy My Time music plays. We're still, I think, well over a year and a bit away from him getting the game music, and I can't wait for that. And he brings, he then puts on his trusty backwards leather paddy cap, which he he somehow thought was somehow a stylish thing in '99. Apparently, I'm not keyed into the the twins of the '90s. <laughs> <laughs> and they come out. They got wedding gifts from. They got a family portrait of uh, of the McMahon and they've just super glued a picture of Triple H's face and with the rest of the family. And Triple H just wants like the guy could be as big headed as uh, as could be as big headed as Finn. They get laundry for Triple H. They say it's for him to wear. And uh, wait, I don't know if I'll fit you in Billy Gunn goes well. It looks good on me. Like, it's a weird thing for you to be admitting in the 90s. Uh, and then, like, they give him another box for Stephanie. Oh, this is for Stephanie to wear. They empty it. There's nothing in here. Exactly. And then 
they give uh, Rodor gives him a front row ticket to the Armageddon. He said, "This is for Stephanie, so she can sit in the front row and watch what you do to Vince." So Stephanie's going to be in the front row for the no holds bar match between Triple H and Vince at Armageddon, and basically this is just a chance for DX to come in and act like act like dicks and. Basically, Triple H just gets a problem on what he's going to do to Vince McMahon. Really, was there really much to take away from this segment other than DX acting like idiots? No, that's all it really was. It was just kind of... It, it's something that I feel that is used quite well during this time. Kind of getting DX to like make a fool of themselves pretty much and kind of get a cheap pop and a cheap laugh at everyone because it's... Not not that the rest of the show is pretty filler and pretty boring, but it can rejuvenate a crowd pretty well. Mm-hmm. And it certainly did that here. Yeah. Like also, DX are the bad guys right now. They're being heel stable because Triple H is the top heel without a doubt. And obviously they're his backup. So by association, they're the biggest heels as well. Like Xbox easily gets booed. And yet, however, the outlaws... Similarly, like they can, they can't get the people to boo them, no matter what they do. And part of me just watches them thinking, like, well, stop doing your ring introduction. That's what people like. If you take that away, people will instantly start to hate you. Uh, see this, see this kind of segment as well. See the the family portrait, and I want, I want to talk about that a bit. Like, <laughs> okay. See Triple H just getting plastered on it. That mm-hmm. is actually hilarious. <laughs> like, what a rub in the face that is. And what a, a, a weird bit of foreboding for the future of the McMahon family that is. <laughs> it's actually predicted, you know what I mean? It's like, you know how the Simpsons can predict everything, DX can predict everything. Yeah, clearly. Because uh, it's weird, because like, obviously they're wanting to laugh at like, the McMahon's expense, because that's why they did the whole thing with Wedding with Stephanie. Everything is to get in Vince's head and just make him angry and, and lead up to the match at uh, Armageddon because Triple H blames Vince for costing him the title and everything he does is to get back at Vince but then the event goes on and then it just ends and like yeah also well, you got some good jokes in there at Vince expense but then it just ends and like I just left wondering like what do I, what do I take away from that because like DX, there was a Thanksgiving episode last week where DX had four segments involving homeless people that brought in off the street and they promised them food and then they just kicked them out without feeding them and I remember our review last week. We were just sitting there, like, 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 what was what was I meant to take away from that? Like, am I meant to hate DX more now because they don't like homeless people, or because like because I don't feel any differently about them. I didn't feel any differently about them in that after those segments. I don't really feel any differently about them here because like they're basically acting how DX act. Uh, it's just it's something that you just kind of take part and parcel with, really. Like, don't you? You always get some sort of antic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go backstage where uh, Mankind finally finds The Rock and The Rock is really unsympathetic towards Al because he's annoyed about costing the match on Raw so like, I'll slap the taste out Al's mouth and then Al Snow jumps The Rock from behind uh, Mankind tries to calm him down Al Snow yells stay out of this back to Mankind also he sneaks up from behind The Rock but Mankind is facing The Rock and he can probably see behind him did, did Mankind not think to warn the Rock hey, Alston was about to hit you? I mean, hi, but it just ruins everything. None of that ruins a good story. <laughs> yes, yeah, so yes, because I was so enjoying this story. 
Mankind then comes out to the ring and talks about how he thanks everybody for buying his book and making it uh, number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And then mocks uh, critics for not reviewing it, which apparently was a thing at the time. Like, uh, like reviewers and like the newspapers and that wouldn't review his book because they don't want to. They thought it was like lowering themselves to review a book written by a wrestler, despite wrestling being one of the hottest things at the time. Uh, so it just goes to show the support for for Mick Foley, and then he talks about how Barry feels his two best friends uh, fighting. And then out comes Chris Jericho, and he basically says, "Bill Mankind, you have no friends because nobody likes you." Way to put it bluntly and ruin the the rock and sock and owl connection that Mayak formed. I don't know. I also, I love that that he like we can be the rock and sock and owl connection. <laughs> it's like this is a weird reference, but Pinky in the Brain to kind of make fun of like yes. like new characters being added to shows. They added a character named Larry for a couple of weeks. So for a while it was the Pinky and the Brain and Larry. <laughs> and then, so that was, that's all I think of, like, the Rock and Suck and Al connection. And, yeah, Chris Jericho just not being around the bush, just going, yeah, everybody hates you, Mike. And then he calls him Mike Foley, which is funny for me because I've actually been reading Mankind's book. I'm actually nearly finished it. And he talks about how one of his first meetings with Vince when he was coming into the WWE, Vince accidentally called him Mike. And Mick Foley was too scared to correct him because he thought it would ruin his chances of getting in. And by the next meeting, he was calling him Mick. And he goes, I guess someone must have smartened him up. <clears throat> ah, this, uh, again, I'm saying this a lot, but it's just weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Have you ever read Mick Foley's book? No, I haven't, no. Uh, it, it, it took me a while to get into, but uh, it took everybody just read when I properly like started reading that and you hear about like the things they went through, going through the what were the equivalent of the Indies back then before getting you know, a WCW and then ECW and then WWE. Like, he's very early in his WWE run, where at the point I'm reading it right now. But Jericho says talks about when he's going to write his own best-selling New York Times best-selling book and kind of foreshadows his own book, which would be on the best-selling list. And then Jericho thinks, maybe people want to hear a second and a third and a fourth all biography written by, by, by me. And then maybe I'll charge people to come to a spoken word show where I'll basically tell people the same stories they read in the fucking book. Which didn't at all happen to me when I, when I went to see Inside the Rope show. You know, I, would, I really would have liked to have seen him inside the ropes. That would have been a fantastic, like, just like, he's a very, a very insightful person into the, the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was cool, like, a lot, just a lot, pretty much nearly every story that he told, as entertaining as it was, were stories I'd read in his most recent book at that point. And so I just sat there thinking, like, I, I paid money for this, like, when I could have just reread the book that I'd recently got. And it was just, I felt kind of shitty about that. Uh, well, uh, what was I think the match coming up here between Jericho and Mankind, I think was already the result was already not really in doubt because if you've read any of Jericho's books in his first couple, especially, he brags about whenever he mentions Mick Foley's name, Mick Foley brackets who has never defeated me in a one-on-one match, or Mick Foley who has yet to beat me in a singles contest, and that was their their thing for a while up until 
like Foley's Hall of Fame induction. I said, my one regret is I never beat Chris Jericho. And then Jericho lies down on, lies down on the stage and lets Mick Foley pin him. Uh, uh, uh. So, yeah, that that's, cool. that's goals. That's goals. That's what that is. Uh, it really is, yeah. And it's something I forgot about until you know, like, oh, well, I know the outcome here because, like, I like it was a reoccurring gag in Jericho's book. And it's so, uh, actually, it's a decent match, you know. Uh, the Ox and the Mandible Core went well when Jericho was for the uh, award of Jericho, so obviously, fighting a submission attempt with another submission. Uh, China comes out along with Mosquete, who's going to be facing Jericho for the Intercontinental title at arm again. She's still angry about Jericho smashing her thumb with a hammer a few weeks ago, as it would be. Uh, uh, Miss K distracts the ref while China hits Jericho with the Intercontinental title. But Mick Foley, when he looks like he's going to finish Jericho, when he puts on Mr. Sokol, he accidentally elbows Miss K, who's gotten up on the apron. And uh, Jer- this gives Jericho, who recovers quite really quickly from a, a belt show, which usually in most matches that really keeps people down. Uh, he gets up and rolls up uh, Mankind and gets one of many victories against Mick Foley up until, obviously, Mick Foley's induction in 2013. And, obviously, China trying to interfere and cost Jericho the match has backfired. Do you got much to say about this match? No. <laughs> I, I don't. It's... Um... I don't know. I, I feel it's just it was it was something that was in just to kind of make the, the airtime possible of the show. They could have filled it even just random matches, but I guess something story related needed to be and it came about. But the whole point of this all came about with Chris Carroll just barging in saying you can't have any friends because no one likes you. <laughs> it's just nah, not mm-hmm. that much of a fan of that. Yeah, it's because Jericho talks about any second book because his second book picks up from his he debuted in the company and with some of the issues he said in his book, which you've covered already, is that he had issues with heat early on because, well, especially in his feud with China, because China apparently, despite wanting to be treated like an equal, complained to like Vince and Triple H that Jericho apparently worked too stiff. And you've seen Jericho almost getting punished for that by losing randomly to Gangrel on an episode of Raw. And then I thought, like maybe I can, I could, I wouldn't be surprised if they did have McFoley just be him here. But like I think uh, maybe they're pulling off on Jericho and like, okay, like maybe let's not be so harsh on this guy. He's actually has a future in the company. And Jericho is quickly building momentum. He's becoming like the Y two G that a lot of people fondly remember. Yeah, it was after kind of realise that there, there is a diamond in the rough with him, so to speak, that there is longevity with what he would be able to do and where he can carry the company to the point they get to in the future. So there's the cooling off is definitely needing to happen. Mm-hmm, definitely. But you talk about random matches. I would definitely call that, say that about this next match because, like, and I don't want to seem like I'm speaking hyperbole here, but honestly, possibly the worst tag match I've ever watched in my entire life. At least up there in the top three, because we have Kurt Angle, the uh, most celebrated real athlete, as the system being known, going uh, teaming with Steve Blackman, the lethal weapon, uh, going up against the Headbangers. And you see, they've already announced that Kurt Angle and Steve Blackman are going to be opponents at Armageddon because of reasons. <laughs> 
Like, literally just announced on Raw, oh, Steve Blackman's going to take on uh, Kurt Angle. Okay. And then they're going against the Headbangers, and like, so you're assuming, oh, well, the Headbangers are going to win, and there's going to be dissension, and that's going to build to the worth of match. But, like, no. Like, after some a really awkward match, because, like, Angle's still fairly new to the company, even though he's picked up wrestling fairly well, and his confidence seems to be growing week in and week out as, as he goes along. Uh, he's still fairly new to He's still very, like, for much a rookie, almost, in terms of professional wrestling. Blackman is not the most skilled in ring. He, he can do his kicks. And that's really all he's got. And the headbangers, it's never going to be said that the headbangers are going to carry anybody to a good match. So we've got a combination of not the strongest performers, one of them who's going to get better, but not is not there yet. And that just leads to a bit of a clusterfuck of a tag match, in my opinion. Yeah, it's not... It's not enjoyable. It's not... It's not bad. It's not good. It's actually just a mess. Mm-hmm. And thank God it only went three minutes. Is that how it went? Jesus, that's... Yeah. It felt like longer. Because at, <laughs> at one point, Angle seems to have things well in hand. And then Blackman comes in to help him. And then Blackman just, kind of just sends Angle to the basis and decides, oh yeah, I'm legal now. Because uh, even though he didn't tag it, because then he starts wrestling... Uh, against one of the headbangers, I can never tell them apart. I don't really care to either because I don't like the headbangers. And then he randomly just tagged back out and he angle like, "Why are you even tagging? You're not even the legal man. You just came in of your own volition." Like, did the because like, like we've noticed every now and then occasionally you can tell when matches have been edited down for to fit the show because of this pre-taped. Like, did some idiot in the editing suite accidentally edit out the moment where Steve Blackman was tagged in? That would put it on them. <laughs> You know, I, I had to kind of watch it back myself. It was just something that, like, I thought it was maybe just a mistake and they just kind of contained with it and that was it. Mm-hmm. You know how uh, Tristress has the chick kick? Yeah. Well, Dave Blackman hits the shit kick, as I'm going to call it, because, like, his main finish is not even like a kick to the head. They build up his martial arts pattern. Like, he doesn't even have, like, a, a kick to the head or anything like that. No, he just kicks people in the stomach. That's his main finisher. Like he, he beat, I think he beat Godfather in an episode of Raw with just a kick to the stomach, and that was it. And they even looked that good. It's like the shit kick to one of the headbangers, followed by the Olympic slam by Angle. And Angle celebrates as if he's just won another medal because like, he over-celebrates pretty much every victory he gets. Kind of like a uh, precursor to Daniel Bryan when he, that Bryan started the whole year thing. And Steve Lyon was angry. I'm like, well, I helped too. Which seems kind of well, you could say that that's what he's thinking. It's hard to tell with Steve Blackman, the black hole of charisma. You can never really tell how he's feeling. Uh, uh, it's not It's not something I've ever had much faith in. No. Uh, and people wonder why we don't talk to Steve Blackman nowadays. <laughs> a, for, a forgotten soldier, that's what he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, backstage, earlier on, Test arrived and he shows up to Stephanie's dressing room and Stephanie's trying to apologise to Seth again it's not your fault like someone needs to bring Robin Williams in and tell Stephanie it's not your fault and just to get this through to you uh, he says like she tries to hug him but he doesn't really respond and he says I don't know how to feel and walks away now I've never been engaged obviously but if I was 
and what happened to Tess and Tiffany happened to me, I would I would know exactly how to feel. I would be raging, not at the woman who was drugged against her will and then married by another person when she didn't realise the person who's the victim in the situation. I would do what Tess should have done, hunt down Triple H and rip his fucking head off. And yet, Stop making logical points, Scott. <laughs> I can't help it. I mean, come on, I've felt bad for Tess a lot here. But now, Tess, you're not really helping. Come on. Like, at no point does Tess even attempt to find Triple H. Because, like, I'm pretty sure Tess runs out of the ring towards the end of Raw as it's going off first. So you assume he's trying to get back at Triple H. Does he get backstage? Triple H wasn't there. They thought, damn, he's too quick for me. And, like, he's not even going to attempt to find him at SmackDown. We, not, we don't see Tess again. We actually don't even see Triple H again, I don't think. When... Because, like, DX during a time later on, but Triple H doesn't really get involved. And, like, Tess, you should be angry. You should be out for revenge. This is why it should be Tess versus Triple H, because they would add, add further fuel to the fire for their feud. But no, it's got to be all about Vince. Vince is the one that's going to take revenge. Like, oh, God, like, I, I said before, like, oh, I think they're trying to make Tess look weak. Some people, and people can be like, I don't know, maybe it's just Tess isn't that good. Like, no. They turn Tess into a coward because they won't have him stand up for the woman he loves. It's uh, I, I know exactly what you what you mean. It's so it's so weird and it's like I think it kinda shows as well how dumb wrestling fans are as well. They would like still cheer kinda of, I, I, I don't I don't know how to explain it actually. It's it's all it's all very very bizarre, and yeah, like, for Tessie painting in that kind of light as well for being like, how could you do that? And Steph not even coming back with like being out of drugs, she just instantly apologising. I get, I get, I get what you're saying because like in certain situations, like DX still being cheered, like I'm pretty sure there was a pop for that consummate the marriage line, even despite the fact that it's like implying he fucked Stephanie while she was still drugged and unconscious. And like yeah, like how the people are still still tear DX after that is I kind of even know how to describe it. Either, but like yeah, it's it, it finally took test with such potential in '99. He had that match with Shane, the lover lever match, where he earned like the family's permission to marry, to get engaged to Stephanie, and stay with And then he he hasn't appeared on pay per view since. And now here, where he should be on pay-per-view, again, we're building to Stephanie's father, who's like in his 50s at least by this point, taking on Triple H. And Triple H is still at least a wee bit against you, but I think... I don't even know what to say anymore. The game's a bogey. Yeah. Yeah, for Tessa, yeah, he's he's done. He, He... he was reaching, reaching new heights. He beat Triple H on Raw, but you know that's probably going to be the height of his career. Like he'll get many pushes. He'll challenge for the ECW title. He'll get, I think, a quick IC or tag run here or there. But test, like, mate, you're done. The main event may as well be a million miles away from you, son. No, the main event is a dog to him now. <laughs> is it really? Uh, next up, we have Crash Holly taking on Rikishi. Uh, on Raw this past week they announced again much like in the same way they brand announced oh yeah it's going to be uh, Angle v Blackman they announced oh yeah because the Hollies think they're super heavyweights they're going to take on another super heavyweight team 
they're going to challenge. They're going to face Rikishi and Viscera in a tag team match. Okay, but thank you for building up to that one. Uh, and on Raw, uh, Hardcore came out before the, the Hollies tag match against Too Cool, who are kind of slowly transitioning into a babyface team, uh, where basically made fun of how fat uh, Rikishi is. Saying, "Man, look at that ass! That's got more dimples than a golf ball." And then I like the hardcore basically getting beat up by Rikishi, and then the two cool just single handedly squash crash. Like, I think this is the first time Scotty Tahoti hits the, the you know, warm is like an offensive move. And they hit what I believe is called the hip hop drop, where uh, Scotty Tahoti holds a uh, cash position, and then Grandmaster Sexy hits the leg drop, and they get quick run over the hollies. So, like, yeah, the. Uh, I see good things in the future for that that big tag match at Armageddon when too cool can easily beat you. I can see big things in your future when uh, we have Cash Holly now taking on Mikishi with the uh, Hardcore Holly on commentary, which uh, is is just what we needed to help liven up the team of Jerry the King Lawler and Michael Cole. Uh, and basically, Crash gets squashed here because he gets hit with a pop up cutter. The uh, Island Driver, I believe it's called, and he's pinned very quickly. And I've noticed as the weeks go on, the fans are starting to become more receptive to Too Cool when they start dancing because before they were just like, oh, shut up, go away. Like, they're maybe just annoying. But since Rikishi's been added, you can see the, the transition to them as a top potential babyface team. Yeah, he's, he's just got that that likability factor and like anything that he touches or even just kind of beads around with go instantly like reap the reap the rewards and the benefits from that as well. And as you said, that gives them the potential to be that top baby face team and you, you see it happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't really say much about the match itself. I mean, you could forget to pause the network when you go for a piss and when you come back, the match would be over. We'd be well, I mean, the, next the, match was, the match was hopeful. Woeful was... Him, I, I don't even know how long it went. Was just like a couple of minutes or something like that? Aye. So, like, hardcore Grasham is hitting Rikishi and Viscera, but then Crash on his own gets, like, beaten by, by Rikishi in probably no more than a minute. So, like, you're basically uh, telling people to expect nothing from the Hollies when they go up against these two at Armageddon. Nice. All right. All I want is a good dance from it. <laughs> uh, and hopefully we'll get that. Uh, as I said, two cool dance in the crowd are actually starting to, to cheer for it. And uh, the commentators are even talking nicer about them, all, except for JR, I think, on Raw, who's still calling them jackasses. It takes a while for JR to really come around, you know. JR's not hip, he's not with it. <laughs> not with it, it's putting it lightly. <laughs> When your, when your granddad walks in and you listen to like, like current day music, what's this racket you're listening to? <laughs> what's, what's this this rap music that you'll be talking about? Uh, I was with it, and then they changed what it was. Now it's it is scary, and it'll happen to you. <laughs> yeah, moving on, we've got The Rock right here. Uh, it's a really strong reaction. Uh, almost up there almost hitting what I will call now the Deborah pop. It's just, the rock pop is just underneath the Deborah pop. 
which goes back to Tavares Dews went for whatever reason, one of the biggest reactions they went to fucking Deborah, just because he's got giant tits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that's that's all it was because she came out for an eight woman tag match and she did fuck all in the match itself, other than stand there. So the Rock, you know, just not quite cracking that at Deborah Fault. He's not above that yet. Maybe maybe as we go into the year two thousand, the Rock will just cl- eclipse that, but he's not there yet. You know. No, he'll get there. I'm, I'm pretty get... sure he'll get there. Yeah, I, I've got faith in you, Big Dwayne. <laughs> And they're all basically the crux of his pre-match promo is basically just about how easily he'll beat Al Snow, and basically talks about like anyone want Al, your crappy music is gonna hit. You're gonna walk down the aisle, step into the people's ring, and basically the rock talks about just how easily like I'm gonna hit you with a rock ball, I'll hit you with the people's elbow, one, two, three. I'm like Jesus, rock, save some, give us, give us some suspension of disbelief, Jesus. Hey, oh, he, he does what he does best. Yes, very people. Cause, like we talked about how badly he did that, that promo on Billy Gunn. I mean, Jesus, like Al Snow's feeling that burning. Billy Gunn's walking back, hanging back to like, see how I, see what I had to go with her. Uh, Al does come out. We get the the classic attitude trope of uh, the brawl starting up in the ramp. Uh, Al Snow actually does get a decent amount of offense. That's a shoulder breaker. Uh, the ref, get, ref has to take a bump because, of course, he does. Uh, they go on the outside, uh, Griff being down, allows Al to use a chair. He goes for the minsault, I believe he misses. But the Rock does manage to hit the people with elbow as he promised he would and win. I mean, so the Rock, man of his work. Uh, Al Snow wasn't done, he comes in with head to try and attack the Rock. And the new, new Jet was aside, I fuck it, we're going to get in on this. Kick him while he's down, literally. Uh, which means Banking has to come and make the save. So they're continuing the Al Snow storyline while keeping the the match arm again in your mind with the rock and top of the outlaws. So actually the sex I think accomplished more than any other match on this show by far. Yeah, this is the only thing that kinda of made sense kinda of going towards Armageddon, didn't it? Like it actually actually tied things in pretty well and it made it more interesting was doing that and it was something that made you you actually wanted to watch it a bit more because they were able to actually make something work before it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because like you're still like wondering where this thing with Al Snow is going to go. Because like I think if they didn't like need the Rock out of the main event right now and reforming the Rock and so they would definitely be building something with Al and Mick at Armageddon. But obviously now they need to keep their minds to find a good way of keeping these two storylines going together at the same time. And it's weird because we see the Outlaws come out and we come back to a bit. There's no real backstage thing to kind of break up the two segments because it's not. Not two seconds after we've seen the outlaws, we see them come back out again with X-Pac for the main event between uh, the, Hardy, um, the Hardys and Ed, them, the Hardys and the Big Show. So, like, you really think, like, you're not broken up these two segments because you may as well just have the outlaws stay in the ring after this segment because their match is on next. It was, uh, production-wise, it was very confusing when they were, mm-hmm. were going to come out next, but it's... I don't know. You never know what goes on through their heads. Sometimes they think it makes sense, but just it turns out absolutely horrible. Mm. Yeah, DX the Hardy, DX against the Hardys and the Big Show. Obviously, the Hardys had issues with the outlaws last couple of weeks because they had a couple of title opportunities. Uh, they had a cage match last week, but every time they seem to 
have the OSB export gets involved, so they say we're going to bring in the big show to kind of even the odds up and try and get some revenge against uh, get some revenge against DX. And I talked about how good the last match was for how what I accomplished story wise. I think actually move uh, action wise, this is probably the best match on this show because they crammed so much into this like main event. Yeah, a lot for even for the time that it was given as well. It was like a lot, a lot happened in the kind of five or so minutes the match actually took page, took page, took place. <laughs> uh, yeah, cause like we talked about, I mentioned Crandy uh, Smackdown. I like made a little joke about Crandy Smackdown, and like you see Jeff Hardy still working today on Smackdown now, and uh, also Matt's still going in AEW. It's weird to see where they two are now. And then watch this stuff back here, and uh, sometimes I think when people talk about somebody's importance, anyway, sometimes they can be kind of overblown. But actually, the last few weeks, especially watching the hard, you actually see truly how innovative they actually were. Aye, it's um, I don't know. It's just, it's just a, it's a, it's just a good, a good watch. They're able to make it anything they were able to do together just came out very exciting and that kind of fast pace and make you like oh what 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 is going to happen next type thing with what they were able to pull out mm-hmm. yeah like the Hardys start off obviously fast pace Jeff Road Dog comes at Jeff he manages to flip over the ropes to avoid him uh, the EX try to work over the Hardys but they lead up to the big hot tag where the big show comes in and basically just throws off through the ground like he picks up Xbox and there was a minute of the outlaws, and they both go down like bloody bowling pins. Uh, they hit Hardy's hit poetry in motion, and when they go for a second time, Jeff kind of gets launched over, but he lands kind of on the top. And then part of the finish is Jeff going on a big show's shoulders and hitting a swanton off of him. And I believe, even with all that action, it's weird that the match actually ends with a roll up where I believe it's Matt rolls up. Uh, road dog for the win and like it seems like it should be a oh, big strong baby face win to stand tall DX but some comeuppance in a week where they were truly bastards and then the boss man comes out to remind you by the way we've got a WF title match at Armageddon and uh, I think Rock and Sock come out and Kane comes out because they've all got issues with DX still uh, so that leads to a big multi-man brawl to end the show so a chaotic end to a, a Smackdown I think they kind of finish you'd expect I, it was something that came pretty synonymous for that kind of time. It was a big, massive brawl to end the show, and it's like, oh, it's absolute chaos here. We need, we need to cut it short here, though. Tune in next week, type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, definitely made you think, like, oh, they cut off with a big finish. Like, what's going to happen next time? Like, well, you need to tune in. So, like, the idea of trying to make it seem like must watch, like, TV. Uh, it's good that at least we got a prime spot for the big show, and the main event, as we were talking about earlier on, like, at least he's helping, like, the faces, uh, like, the new up-and-coming team, Matt and Jeff Hardy, like, get a win over the big heel. The, uh, even with this appearance, it feels like Big Show is just there to help the Hardys. It's more about getting the Hardys over than anything else. Uh, it was something that they probably needed to do at the time as well, was to get them over, because they were kind of near, near reaching point of being at the best they could be. Mm-hmm. And they had yeah. to be, I think, probably like a big final push to get them just past that. Yeah, I mean, they're still being managed by Terry Reynolds. 
So I think the first thing they need to do before they properly get to where they need to be is to ditch Terry, but unfortunately they're going to be stuck with her for a while. And it's weird because the last few weeks have just shown just how hot the Hardys are right now. And yet, so they could have probably put the belts on them very soon after this. I think they're going to they keep holding off and holding off on them and decide to put them in the role of, kind of the underdogs that keep getting screwed until eventually like, it's going to be a good while before we actually see the Hardys get a proper tag title run. Uh, a wee while, but you know, we'll, we'll get it soon. We'll get, yeah. we'll get it soon. I'll get it. We'll get it. Uh, but that is SmackDown, uh, the 2nd December episode. And Jack, I'm going to ask you for two things before we wrap this up. I'm going to ask you for your rating for this episode. Is it a thumbs up in the middle or is it a thumbs down? And I'm going to ask you if there was one segment or match in the show you actually had to tell somebody, you actually recommend somebody to go back and watch, what would it be? I think, I don't think the show warrants a thumbs down. It was a bit of a calamity, but mm-hmm. it was, it was all right. Not, not good for a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. I would give it a thumbs middle. I think it was just a run of the show, a show that kind of is there to fill time and just kind of tie some stuff up, create some new things in a rather weird attempt. The the, the 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 weird fallout of the wedding's enjoyable. Mm. The the um, the rock and the sock and uh, I also know I enjoyed the except for Chris Jericho coming in and saying the man can't <laughs> handle friends and then like that. <laughs> but my favourite segment, of course, has to be Big Miss and Kane. <laughs> oh, is that what you is that what you tell people to go back and watch Vissera versus Kane? <laughs> Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's like, look, I, I represent a podcast that's big admirers of Big Miss and Kane, and you've got the <laughs> chance to see the two of them together in a match, and you're telling me we're going to turn that down. You're a fool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I wouldn't check it out because uh, my favourite doesn't really come out the best in that situation. You kind of get screwed over again by that little prick Xbox, but I can, <laughs> can see why you'd, you'd, you'd choose that. For me, I'd say a thumbs up as well because obviously it's good that we get the fallout from the wedding, but like it's just the fallout really is just definitely apologising constantly for something she shouldn't be. Like nobody properly gets in Triple H's face for what he did, like because obviously Vince promised he wouldn't test when he really should have should have gotten got in his face. And we're again, it just feels like for most of this, we're just like matches that are helping tread water until we get to Armageddon. Uh, so yeah, thumbs and I think is probably the best thing you can give it. I'd probably say if you want a good match to actually watch back, I'd say maybe the main event because, like, obviously, especially if you're a fan of like the Hardys, you can easily see one of the first attempts they have outside of the commonly built up like ladder match from No Mercy. Just like how they managed to like try and they're trying to maintain the momentum of the Hardys and like. How much faith they already have in those two? Yeah, I mean that is fair. That is, that is the best match of the night. But I don't think any match went above like five minutes. No, I don't. I don't think it did. And I think it's quite common in uh, the attitude there, especially for TV. And it's weird because now it's going to stage occasionally. You do have a match that feels like it's going a bit longer. And because I've been watching the Raws and the Smackdowns for this. Every now and then, the match starts to feel like it's going a bit long, and that's when I start to feel like one of the, the crowds at the same thing. Like 
Jesus, this match is going on forever, realizing when in reality it's probably going six minutes and then like if a match went like six minutes or more today you won't even like notice how, how quick it's going by. But like watching it at this period you're like, Jesus, when is this match gonna end? Like how much more can I do? <laughs> I'm starting to get into that mindset, like it's almost like Stockholm syndrome from watching back in this period. That's grim. Yeah. That is very grim. <laughs> As as like I, I seriously need to talk to someone about this. <laughs> <laughs> who, who who would take me seriously? I don't know, but Jack, it's been good having you on, my friend. Uh, please do let the fine listeners of Frog Opinions know as they wanted to hear more of your sultry tones. Where they could possibly do that? Well, you can hear me as as mentioned before, where Scott resides as well and eat, sleep, suplex, retweet, a host, the Raw Report and the Extra Feed, and you know, you've got myself and Scott hosting one of the greatest shows in, in that feed's history and potentially the world's history, Saturday Draft Live, so definitely come and check that out. And also, you can find me on The Big Picture, and that's in Spotify and iTunes and all your good stuff, and we're on Twitter and all that, and we, we take an idea or a concept most recently this week's episode that we did it on was in Suicide Squad, so we've made a, everyone's made a pitch on that to try and make it better. Can Mel Smith save a movie? Are archaeologists stupid? <laughs> One way to find out. Very <laughs> good. Yes, as I said, Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retreat is on the all same Android podcast that you can find this very podcast. Yeah, they got their main feed and then they got all the exciting stuff on the next feed where you can hear the likes of myself and Jack, especially on Saturday Night Live where we take a look at our we fantasy we've got going and it may be one of the greatest podcasts ever conceived in the history of podcasting or mankind in general. But you can also find me on Twitter at Scotland1896. My podcast got on Paul's Rowling podcast for all your Frasier and wrestling related needs. Quite recently, it's been mostly about impact uh, at SV Rambling on Twitter. And you can find Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinion on Instagram and Twitter and check back to the feed of all our past retro reviews and all the good stuff about football, wrestling and any other weird stuff to do with pop culture that we've released something on. But Jack, you'll be back next for the next episode for the Go Home episode of Smackdown Farmageddon and I must say I can't wait but to listeners until then we'll just say ta The world's largest love machine Viscera Ooh.